Hey everybody, and welcome to the latest and greatest episode of the Fangirl Radio Show. I'm your host, Jessica Dwyer, and yes, it has been a very, 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 very long time since we've had an episode, and I will simply blame that on the year and trash fire that is 2022, and the previous year and previous year before that, um, yeah, it's been a rough one, um, but we're coming out of it finally, and now we're here, and I'm very happy to say that we've made it, and um, yes, I did get plague. I made it through plague uh, because I was one of the smart ones and got vaccinated, so if you haven't gotten vaccinated yet or are waiting to get your second or third vaccination, please do that. Because uh, I was an, I am a high risk person, and when I got the plague, it was something I thought was just simply allergies, and it turned out that it was actually the plague. Um, but we made it through that, and I was very happy that we made it through it. Made it three years without getting it, and got it in an office um, after having gone to Disneyland and Universal Studios, being surrounded by thousands of people. And I got it at my office at the day job, which was a treat. Um, but we made it. This year is almost over. 2023 is going to be great. I am positive. I am in a good way with the, the beginning of next year. We're at the end of this year. And um, we had, uh, when it comes to entertainment, this was a pretty amazing year for everybody. Uh, probably my number one highlight is Marvel becoming a, a pander to the horror crowd with Werewolf by Night, which I was just blown away by. I absolutely love Werewolf by Night. I finally got my Jack Russell in in the flesh. And Man-Thane, who had already been in a uh, in the flesh, so to speak, but we don't really talk about the Seafy movie that was the Man Thane film. This was amazing. Um, so I that was a highlight for me. Multiverse of Madness was amazing. I I loved it. Sam Raimi coming back to the land of the comic book movie. Uh, Black Adam was fantastic. There's still so, there were so many that I haven't seen them all. I mean, there's a ton of films that I still haven't seen yet. Um, I absolutely love The Invitation, classic vampires back there. Um, I still need to see The Woman King. Uh, Thor Love and Thunder, not, um, not the best Thor film, but definitely not the worst. And I actually enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, The Northman was just amazing. Um, just there's just so many to go through uh, i liked morbius and nobody else seemed to but i was just happy to see my vampire on screen in a live action movie and um some of those scenes in that film uh were so good and right out of the uh the comics so you can't really hate morbius that much if you love the comics i mean it could have definitely been better and in a lot of ways and that the main one being it needed to have blood. It needed to be bloody and um, because they wanted that demographic, that 
blessed PG-13. Uh, they got it with that film and it suffered for it in that aspect. But otherwise, I, I enjoyed it. I really did. Um, Scream was this year. If you think about it, <laughs> there were a lot of films that hit in this year. Um, but the, the Scream uh, film, the new one, uh, was so, so good. I loved how it played. It was smart. It was savvy. Nev Campbell looked great. Um, David Arquette looked great. Uh, Courtney Cox looked great. Just a fantastic movie. And um, Jenny, uh, Jenny Ortega, who, if you haven't seen Wednesday yet, um, which just hit over the Thanksgiving holiday, if you will, um, Jenna Ortega, I was calling her Jenny, but uh, I don't know her personally, so I probably shouldn't. Um, but uh, Jenna Ortega is one of those new icons of the the horror screen, and she just nails this. I can't think of a moment she actually blinked <laughs> in the in in Wednesday, but um, she was part of the Scream cast and uh, was fantastic in that fantastic in Wednesday. Um, she is just becoming a horror icon and, um, I can't say enough about her. She just was so, so good. Uh, and also in terms of how they utilized the back, the original scream in, in the new one. Brilliant. Uh, so kudos there. Uh, also big controversial, I guess, entry into the Halloween, um, franchise was Halloween ends. And again, I absolutely loved it. It it was part of what had already been a really fantastic trilogy. Parts one and two, the third entry, fantastic. Following them along what David Gordon Green had initiated. You can read my review on fangirlmag.com for that one. Uh, but, and it goes into depth about why it's good, um, and what I really enjoyed about it. And, uh, I, I won't go into any further detail than that here because you can read it on the website. But again, it the movie did what it should have done. And again, talked to the trauma of of certain things. And I, I really, really loved it. Another one that was a standout from earlier in the year was uh, You Won't Be Alone. Uh, another witch film that we don't get a lot of those that are bigger known, wider known films. Uh, I loved You Won't Be Alone. Um, I interviewed the director and writer of, um, or the writer of the film. And uh, it's neat to see a witch story that creates its own mythos like that one did. Really good stuff. Um, so if you haven't seen that, I believe it is on Peacock. Uh, go check that out. Uh, Day Shift was another one that I really liked. That's another one for streaming that was really fun. Had a lot of uh, From Dust Till Dawn vibes in it. Just great, fun vampire flick. Uh, so we had a couple of really good ones this year. Um so, I, I mean, there's so many to list off. Uh, I'm not going to bore you with just listing off every film that I really liked, because there were a number of them. Um, but 
2022 had a lot of stuff and and it this year has been such a a long one <laughs> that you forget that these movies came out this year like uh another one that I absolutely loved that uh was that was towards the beginning of the year um was the unbearable weight of massive talent the Nicolas Cage movie with Pedro Pascal was just as good as I had ever hoped it could be again I need to stop talking about movies because I'll just keep going and going and going um and I haven't even hit on Wakanda Forever Death in the Nile um Wakanda Forever was just amazing and uh <sighs> See, I'm doing it. I knew I would. Uh, Death on the Death on the Nile was fantastic. Uh, there was the controversy of Army Hammer that kind of tainted that film, and that's sad because it was another one of those. I love these movies like that 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 are the throwbacks to the uh, the old school um, big movie stars coming together in this. Uh, and these grandiose films, um, especially the, the myth, the, the mystery ones like this. And, um, Kenneth Branagh just has a great way of making these movies and he's great as Perot and, uh, just fantastic. It's, it's great. These big ensemble, uh, stars coming together, movies like the old school times, um, loved it. Um, Wakanda forever. Uh, this is going to be the last one I talk about, I promise. Uh, Wakanda Forever um, was an absolute beautiful love letter to Chadwick Boseman as it was needed to be. And um, how they handled what happened with Chadwick and how he passed and how they created this beautiful goodbye with this movie is just amazing and is the power of of film really um how he was throughout this film but not there uh physically but his spirit was through it and how they created this and brought in namor who was just amazing um was really absolutely totally beautiful so um again if you haven't seen Wakanda forever. I don't know how you've not been spoiled by anything online. Cause at this point, everybody's just throwing it all out there. Um, I won't, I'll just tell you to go see it. Um, the last thing I will talk about in terms of, of movies, I know I said I wouldn't keep going, um, is the fact that this year saw the return of the power of the horror film. Um, especially new idea horror, which was really nice. Um, and low budget horror films. The, uh, the fact that you had movies like Terrifier 2 that, um, caught the public's attention the way it did, uh, was really fantastic. Uh, I, I love David who plays art. He's a buddy of the show. He's been on here previously uh, just absolutely great to see him get the, the recognition he deserves for that film. Ty West has done an amazing thing with X and Pearl. Just, there's another icon in the, in the, coming out of the world of horror, um, with Mia Goth 
and Jenna Ortega in that film as well. She's in that too. But uh, but these two ladies just taking the reins in and just being the stars that they are. And horror films like this and, and just genre films in general like Nope and Smile. And then everybody was talking about, again, you know, Halloween Ends. Uh, but also Orphan First Kill. Everybody was talking about that film as, you know, it it just was testament to the genre. And so you had all these people talking about horror films and, and really uh, being out there with them. And, and, you know, you of course, you had Crimes of the Future um, with Cronenberg returning. But it was neat to see these not large budget films with relative um new actors relatively new actors uh not well-known names just banging at the box office um and it's kind of nice to see this happening and uh, people are finally giving i think dare i say that horror is finally getting its due thanks to these just brilliant filmmakers doing their thing and bringing this stuff back uh, to, you know, to show people what horror can do. And it really made me happy to see. So uh, kudos to everybody out there. Um, David Howard Thornton, at last, you're getting your due, buddy. And um, I hope, I hope DC sees him and um, maybe he can be a Joker, an alt-universe Joker, because I know he would love to do that. And he does a spot-on Mark Hamill Joker, too. So um, so I'm hoping we, uh, I don't want to, like, kind of do this as an end-of-the-year uh, episode, because I'm hoping to do at least one more ep before the end of the year. So, um but I wanted to get an episode out uh, before that because we have two fantastic interviews for you guys that I'm really excited to share. Um, the first one is Joe Kenda, the Homicide Hunter, is back with us. Um, we had previously interviewed him about a couple of years ago. Uh, and this is actually, uh, as of this recording uh, tonight... Uh, the premiere of Homicide Hunter, Devil in the Mountains. It's a special two-part event that is um, happening on id, Investigate Discovery. And uh, definitely check this out because it's a big one. And, and that is because this all focuses on the one and only time that uh, Joe Kenda faced down a serial killer. And that was Ronald Lee White. Now, they did, I believe, an episode of this in Homicide Hunter, but it wasn't a as vast as this one is, which talks about the Pueblo police and how they had to work together with um, Colorado Springs. And um, it's, it's a really fascinating story because, you know, people seem to forget that back in, in, in this time frame, like back in, these, in the 80s, um, that we didn't have the internet. The internet wasn't a thing. There was no, uh, none of the technology that we have right now, um, for the most part, it was mainly phones and fax machines and, you know, letters, <laughs> paper, uh, which we talk about um, in the interview uh, and how important that was because it really, it really was hard to coordinate with other people even if you're in the same state 
it's still hundreds of miles. And especially in this case, it was such a vast investigation and area that was involved. So it's, it's probably one of my favorite interviews I've done um, because we go deep into what this is. And if you know of Homicide Hunter and if you've listened to Joe Kinda talk, he has a voice that makes no qualms about uh, what he's seen. He's got that kind of voice that just grabs you and lets you know that he has seen the worst and has fought it. And um, he has a way with a phrase and talking with him is really just, you just want to hear him talk and tell stories about what he's seen and done. And um, uh, we go into the, the death penalty here. And um, especially in this case where at first it was, he wanted to die. Then it turned out he didn't want to die. He didn't want them to do the death penalty. And he got lucky because Colorado repealed the death penalty. Um, and it, this is one of those cases I'm, I could see, uh, and I actually, when we talk about this, kind of make that clear, I can see the death penalty being a very, the, the option that should go with this individual because he could, the least thing set him off to murder people. And to this day, they still don't know how many people he killed. Ronald Lee White made a, a, a comment that he couldn't even count how many people he had murdered. And it's simply, in one case, it was because he wanted to watch Star Trek and his roommate wouldn't let him, so he murdered him. Uh, and it's terrifying because the least thing could set this person off. And you feel concerned for anyone who is in a prison with him because, again, anything could set him off. And um, it's just one of the most terrifying things to think about. Um, being across the table from a serial killer because there's no filter with this person there's no emotion and anything could do it um so it's a really fantastic interview and the show is also fantastic and fascinating in terms of giving you uh, the the image and visual and idea of what it was like to be a part of something like this at that time and how hard it is um, to, to catch people like this, which is how Ted Bundy kept going because the, the, the vastness of the, I guess you would call the hunting grounds and the fact that there was no interdepartmental communication between these places. So really great interview. I'm really excited for you guys to hear it. Um, also on this episode, uh, I talked to the amazing Mark Center. If you're like me, you loved the Devil's Carnival. Um, and Mark played the Scorpion in that and um, just fantastic actor. Uh, really, really good at what he does. And um, he is, and you have to be really good at what you do when you take on a role opposite Stephen Lang. And that is what Mark did in Old Man, which it, the, the theme with this, and it, you have to remember, you have to be able to hold your own against Stephen Lang, who is very, very um, intense. <laughs> if you've seen him and all the things that he's been in, but 
this film is directed by Lucky McGee, who just another fantastic director, uh, independent horror, showing the strength of horror and what it's, it can do. He did May, The Woman, You Know Him, You Love Him. Uh, Lucky did this film, The Old Man, and it feels like a play. Uh, and when I say Mark and Stephen Lang, that's pretty much the cast. Uh, there are some other actors in this, but the I would say 95% of this film is Stephen Lang and Mark Center. And um, to do something like that in the close quarters that this is, you are... Um, you got to bring your A game. Both actors did. And it is a great film. It is on streaming. It doesn't go the way you may expect. And, um, but it, how it works is fantastic. It is lovely. And again, it feels like a play and, and that's what I really liked about it. And you have two dynamic actors and characters playing against each other and it's very, very good. And again, Stephen Lang is absolutely <laughs> intense as he can be. And uh, it's just a really fantastic film. And I really love Mark. He did such a great job with this and um, his acting in this as well as his work in the, uh, again, Devil's Carnival. I can't say enough. Uh, you can also uh, find him in the very creepy Starry Eyes. Uh, so definitely check out Old Man. And if you haven't still seen um, the amazing Devil's Carnival, go find that as well. I know that's floating around on streaming too. So with that, I'm going to hang it on over to our interview sections. Uh, the first will be Lieutenant Joe Kinda. Uh, and then Mark Center. And I hope you guys enjoy these. Uh, again, thank you so much for listening. I hope you all made it through safe. I hope you all um, are well. And again, I'm hoping to have another episode before the end of the year. Maybe have some a couple of guests on board and we can discuss the year in review um, across the board. And uh, thank you again. And uh I hope you had a great Thanksgiving and um, looking forward to the holiday season with you. And we're going over to our interviews. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I am doing fantastic. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. You're welcome. <laughs> well, I, I know I don't have you for very long, but I, I absolutely love the special and I have a ton of questions for you. <laughs> Well, I'm sure you do. That's your job. You're a journalist, for heaven's sake. You should have a number of questions. I do. I have a very inquisitive mind on this one. So mm. my first question is, um, I think a lot of people may be surprised um, by the difficulty of communication back in time that this, this case happened. Can you talk a little bit more about working together between departments and districts like this and honestly, the importance of paper when it comes to this, because there was no internet, there was uh, not a, any way of connecting the, the, the groups that were involved. Well, of course there was not. And uh, the world adapted well to that problem for a couple thousand years. Only lately with this new generation of uh, people who believe in the 
value of digital information and internet and so on makes it seem ancient to them to do it the other way. But the other way was just as effective. It just took longer, but so what? The interesting thing about the modern day is that courts don't believe in internet either. Still, they want pieces of paper that can be preserved for 150 years and they are stored in, in warehouses as they are in Colorado, temperature controlled, humidity controlled documents, not internet stuff, not something that's going to be obsolete in three days, but a piece of paper that contains the information required. At the time these crimes occurred, you did what you must do. You traveled, you talked by telephone, you did use computers. Back in the day, police departments were at the forefront of the use of computers. In fact, had them before anybody else did. We had, I had a cell phone before anybody knew what they were. I had the Motorola brick. It came in a <laughs> bag and weighed like 10 pounds. But you could, you could talk to somebody on the dark side of the moon. It was five watts. It would reach anywhere. <laughs> but it was a pain. I remember at a crime scene, I took that out once and put it on the hood of my car, the bag. And I pulled out this instrument, which was this phone, this huge phone. And the reporter said, what's that? I said, it's a cell phone. Well, there's no wires. No, there isn't. Wow. <laughs> and now an eight-year-old kid has two of them. One his parents know about and one his parents don't know about it's in his true. back pockets. Yeah. So is this a good thing? I don't think so. But then again, it's not my place to make a comment. <laughs> We've, we had difficulty. Yes, of course you do. There's nothing more difficult, dear, than identifying a ghost. Because whoever did this didn't leave his wallet behind. Who is this? It's a human from somewhere. Well, and one thing that I wanted to ask kind of connected to that was, do you think that technology has helped or hindered um, as the earlier methods did require a lot more intensity and, um, you know, brain power in terms of, of putting this together. It is, I think, unfortunate that people become dependent upon things that are simple and easy. I'll just push a few buttons and somehow the name of the killer will appear on this device. In fact, they even do it in the world of entertainment. Uh, in, for example, the TV program CSI, they have all these magic electronic devices that don't even exist. They punch a few buttons and we know where the guy is and we know if he's at work today. No, we don't. That's not true. So there is a reliance on the ease of this that is in itself dangerous, that you're, you're not thinking anymore. You're pushing buttons. You can teach a monkey to push buttons. We need somebody with a brain. Exactly. Well, and um, one thing that I found fascinating about this one as well was it goes into some detail about your interrogation um, with with White. And I was curious about building a rapport with I, I from what I gathered and what my what I've I've seen he's a sociopath. Like there's no emotion. There's no, of course. Yeah. There's no kind of, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's, 
that's what I would call him. Can you give some detail uh, about getting into a headspace where you have to connect with someone like that and, and um, you know, what, what your steps are and, you know, keeping, I mean, you have like this demeanor that is so amazingly calm in terms of what you're dealing with, at least, you know, I know it's not that way at, when you try to go to sleep at night, but. No, it, it's not. But it, 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 here's the answer to that. Ultimately, you have to maintain the fact that this person you're talking to, you need to reach inside of him. And if you maintain a calm demeanor, you don't use obscenities, you don't raise your voice, you just talk. Let's have a conversation. How are you today? You know, it does sorts of things, very simple. It's very, very simple. I found that to be effective for me. Now there's training available for interrogation techniques through numbers of different people, including the FBI. But the point is, in my experience, you have to find something that your personality is comfortable with. And you pick and choose from the training, and then you try it out on people by literally trial and error. Uh, you say something to somebody that makes them angry. Say, oh, don't do that again. You know, make the guy mad. You don't want him mad. You want him comfortable. And he's just talking, and you're talking, and you respect him, and you talk nicely to him, and he appreciates that. And further, he's always, and they always are, sociopath or not, they're proud of what they do. And if you express a little admiration of him, it goes a long way. Uh, it goes a long way in reaching him. That So in terms of this one because he is this is horrifying and just so blase about what he did and and what is when you see them when you see somebody like that especially this this one what i mean in your in your mind what is the are you trying to figure out okay how how are you a human being how are you how do you look like a normal human being to me I mean, that, that's the thing that would be going through my mind. Like, where no is one, no, I never think that. I already know he's not a normal human being. If he was, he wouldn't be sitting in here. That's true. Consider the fact that the first time I saw him, actually in person, he is in a pair of orange jail coveralls. He's been transported by police car for almost an hour from another location to my location. He's got belly chains on, ankle chains, and handcuffs in front of him. All he can do is take baby steps. He can't even walk because of all the chains that are around him. And that would probably distress the normal person that he's been driven for an hour to some location to talk to another policeman about yet another murder, you would think he'd be distressed. But when you walk in that room, or when I did, he was asleep on his forearm. That's insane. Because he was bored. <laughs> That's just insane to me. That was well, because it's because it is, my dear. <laughs> That's the thing you have to understand. When you talk to people like this, you're not talking to someone you've talked to before. They are unique. They are cunning, 
and they are lethal and they know it and so do you exactly you look in his eyes you don't see any light in his eyes he doesn't have any so well and one thing that you brought up that i was i was like yes i'm glad i've i've only heard this a couple of times being brought up was the myth of using the same method of murder for a serial killer um like especially ronald white was a uh a, a serial killer who used opportunity and whatever was around it wasn't just opportunity but it was a weapon of opportunity in every case but you have to remember that Ronald wasn't concerned about who he may have encountered or anything else. He sees no value in human life. He is a definition from the statistical and, and diagnostic manual of personality disorders, which is a college textbook they use to teach psychiatrists. It's currently in volume six. I had purchased a volume of that. And I used to read it a lot. And if you look at the personality of a sociopath, he is incapable of any emotion except rage. Don't make me mad because I will kill you. And I won't remember it two minutes later. He is not capable of compassion, sympathy, empathy, love, forgiveness, guilt. He doesn't know what that means. It's not in him. Right. It never has been. Well, and one thing that stood out to me in this was at the trial, or at least the sentencing, that uh, with the threats to everyone in the jury and, and into the courtroom, <laughs> yeah. which is which is like, okay, you... Um, yes. you yeah, he scared everybody to death at that courtroom <laughs> with good reason, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And well, and, and then it, it kind of... Over the years, and from what I've I've you know I have researched into this, there was uh, he switched himself up and from wanting to be um, put to death to wanting a life sentence again, and and I'm mm. just I'm just curious because someone like this is one of those you would hold this person up and say this is why we have a death penalty because this person sure. is a living <laughs> weapon you know they, they yes, he is. um yes he is i i was curious how seeing the acts that you've seen and and especially in this case colors your thoughts and ideas on the debate about that because i know colorado changed it to where there was no death penalty there. they did yes unfortunately americans have a propensity to forgive and forget the difference in my case is I don't forgive and I don't forget. But that's not something that's common. So the court system continues to rely on their brilliance and their emotional distance from the facts and circumstances involving people. And convicts, including Ronald Lee White, as well as every other person locked up somewhere, plays the system against itself because they are amused by it. They have a law library given to them by the Supreme Court at some point, and they sit there all day and file frivolous lawsuits against the state and the federal government and anybody else they can think of, and the courts entertain that. And the convicts get to go out and go to court to answer to this suit or this problem or whatever, 
and they wave at all the girls and some of the boys. And to them, it's just a thing to do. And yet the system itself believes that they're being completely straightforward. No, you're not. You're just being silly, dealing with these people and enjoying their game. I had a convict I put in prison who sued the state of Colorado because for religious discrimination, because he was a Satanist and the prison wouldn't let him practice his religion. Excuse me? No, no. Excuse me? Why are we wasting 30 seconds listening to this guy? Why are we doing that? Now, the death penalty is not justice, it's revenge. It's biblical revenge, eye for an eye. There are some arguments that say that prison is more punishment because they're in a six by nine foot box for the rest of their days. You can't rely on the no parole piece because, again, Americans are forgiveness minded. So someday, some righteous person is going to believe this guy when he talks to them about all the things that psychiatrist told him in prison and they're going to release him and guess what he's going to do he's going to do what he does well and especially in this case it's just he there's such a trigger and i was just you know I, he just got pissed off because he couldn't watch a tv show and killed a roommate and just you know and it just yeah of course yeah it, he's, he's a, <laughs> of course you're going to you know i really wanted to see jerry seinfeld tonight how dare you bam and, and it's like i this is one of the best arguments that you could find for that and it just to me was there, yes there are certain people my dear who are among us who should not be allowed to be among us you have people who uh, have large organizations in some cases, well-funded, who want to reintroduce wolves into the country because they're so beautiful and they're loving and, oh, my God, they look like a dog and so on and so on. And it took 100 years to kill them when kids weren't coming home from school and farmers weren't coming back from the fields. But nobody remembers that. Now we just see these fuzzy little creatures and we think, what a what a wonderful animal this is. It is an animal, and it does what it does. And there are certain humans that are wolves, and they circle the herd, and they look for the young and the weak and the trusting, and they take them for the pleasure of doing it. The only difference between animals and humans is animals kill for need. They kill to survive. Humans kill for pleasure. And that's why wild animals run from us. Because they know what we are. The most dangerous animal on this planet. That is the truth. Well, sir, I want to thank you again for all of the amazing work and, and dedication that you've had. Uh, this has been a, a fantastic discussion, and um, I had one one personal request, if you wouldn't mind. Um, of course. Um, my mom is 
uh, as big a fan as I am of yours. And I just wondered if you could give a shout out to Nancy because she just absolutely loves you. She also owns a bobblehead of you. That that's, <laughs> and and she uh she would if you could say hi to Nancy, I would I would appreciate it so much because she's had a of course absolutely Nancy hello Nancy how are you I'm glad you have a bobblehead I'm glad you're a fan I'll take all the fans I can get. <laughs> it's interesting to me that when I was working, no one was ever happy to see me, and nobody wanted to talk to me particularly. So it's a real departure now in the day when people come up to me and they're smiling and they want their picture taken with me. They want to shake my hand. They want my autograph. And I thought, where were you when I was a policeman? Oh, that's right. I was a policeman and I frightened you. So it was, it's interesting. It really is. But I appreciate it very much, Nancy, that you are dedicated to the program. It is just nothing more than a discussion about what I did for a living. And I did it because I would have done it for free. Mrs. Kenda would not have agreed with that, of course. <laughs> but to me, it, was, it wasn't a job. It was a mission. Yeah. And the reason I was successful is I wouldn't stop. I wasn't smarter than everybody else. I was just persistent. I was a dog with a bone. Well, I had one case I worked for nine years before I arrested two people and convicted them of first-degree murder. That's amazing, uh, sir. You were you were you were chosen for it. You were born to do it, and I appreciate that you did it. You're entirely welcome. Show yourself. I got lost in the woods. I saw smoke coming from the chimney. How do I know you're not some goddamn psycho killer? Do I look like a psycho killer to you? Yes, you do. What if you come to find out that I'm very dangerous? Well, it must mean that God hates you. Cup of coffee? My grandfather told me you can never be too careful in these woods. He told me it's beautiful, but it can also be dangerous. He was right about that. There's all kind of death and beauty out here. Who the hell are you? I said, who the hell are you? This is where the story gets real good. First of all, mm -hmm. I just realized after doing a little bit more research, you played one of my favorite characters in the Devil's Carnival. So no way. you are a little morpher that I was like, oh, my God, that's him. <laughs> oh, my God. No I, way. How I, cool. I love the scorpion. Um, I uh, yeah, that that's one of my favorite films. Terrence is a, a friend of mine and he makes oh. amazing, beautiful things. And uh, that was really amazing uh i loved i love that that film and the and the sequel so great oh, job thank you, thank you. Can they, oh, i'm gonna show you something totally wild oh you gotta see this okay, okay. i'm coming back on okay <laughs> ready for this yeah so for one of my this was either for 
was this for my birthday or for, I can't remember what it was for. Um, so check this out. So my girlfriend is Emily Autumn, who plays the, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. who plays the painted doll, right? So check this out. Look what <gasps> Emily got me. Oh my God. Look so at that. Look at this. So this is like massive. And it's like this, she got this on, um, cause I was like, you know, it'd be so cool if we had this great picture of ourselves to put up <laughs> somewhere in the house. And so she goes and finds this like artist or, you know, and it's massive and it weighs like 40 pounds. And I'm like, I'm not putting that above the bed. It's going to kill us in the middle of the night. But the fact that it's even like, I'm like, let's just lean it against the wall. How cool is that? This is beautiful. Is that a painting or a photo? It's like, it's this photo that, um, you know, one of the still photographers took of yeah. us during the film. And it's one of my absolute favorites. So we've always kind of kept this and That's so fantastic. Um, yeah so she blew it up and it's like this really hard Jesus. you know plastic piece and so we were going to hang on the wall but it's like 40 pounds yeah the sword of damocles is gonna be like it one night it's gonna go boom i know the scorpion and the painted doll don't make it to the morning because the picture of themselves cut their heads off right exactly oh my god that's great that's absolutely so beautiful oh that's funny what a Wait, trip well that is great Okay, so I have to talk to, be, to you about the old man. And yes. I I love this. Um, so my mm -hmm. first question for you is, uh, I have a lot, um, but what first is going to be the basic? What made you interested in this particular story? Um, so <clears throat> the writer is an old friend of mine, um, and I knew him in Los Angeles like 20 years ago. Um, and so, or, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago. And, you know, we were just talking on the phone one day about different projects and, and he had mentioned he had this play and, and he was telling me about it. And I was like, well, wow, that sounds really interesting. Um, you know, we were both, you know, always looking to, to find new stuff to do. And so I asked him to send it to me and he did. And I, I, I read it and, you know, honestly, I just, the second I read it, I was like, oh my God, I really want to do this. It was just one of those things that just kind of, I connected with right away um, and then read like a few more times. Um, and uh, he was actually accepted into the PDU at the actor studio for this specific play. But I was, I was like, Oh my, I really want to make this as a movie. Um, and he was behind it. And then I called Lucky McKee and it all kind of unfolded from there. So I just, you know, a friend just sent me a play that I frankly fell in love with. And I was going to ask, because uh, <clears throat> that was one thing I picked up on was it acts out like a play with one location mm -hmm. and two actors, mm -hmm. but you, between you and 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 i have to call him slang because i've been told that he will make you call him that if that's you know. right yeah 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 so um, funny but uh you you made it so dynamic and you made it mm -hmm. you know you could tell it was one place but you were able to to utilize that space between the two of you really well how was it to do one location with two actors like that and be the focus of almost every scene um, yeah, well, I think the fact that it was written as a play, I mean, look, there's obviously challenges, the obvious challenges that come with that. I mean, frankly, is this going to be boring? You know, uh, is this just really, you know, going to, are, are people going to be bored by this? Um, but, uh, you know, frankly, on the acting front, it was amazing. It was one of the best experiences I've ever had because it was just, you know, slang and I. Um, you know, in this beautiful set that Lily Teplin designed uh, with Lucky McKee. And, um, you know, it, it really is just kind of like an opportunity for us to to 
you know, do the work really. Um, so for me, it was incredible because we would just find our spot and we would just get into it. And even some days, you know, you know, lucky would want to, we, we would make a plan to cut at a certain time and he would just let us keep going and he'd yell cut. And we'd go, wait a minute, did we just go three pages past where we were supposed to stop? <laughs> so it was so amazing and freeing because I felt like we could just really, you know, um, kind of connect and do the work we were doing and be there present together. And, and, um, you know, it, it really was an amazing experience. And, and I felt, um, you know, the way in which it was written as a play, I mean, obviously it was adapted for, to, to a screenplay, but it, it, it really did, I think, created a good opportunity for him and I to kind of get into it. Well, and one thing that I, I found interesting, because you, you're a producer on the project as well, mm -hmm. but um, also you were um, working with Lucky McKee, who is one of the most unique and interesting new wave of horror masters that mm. are out there right now. What was the process between the two of you to work together? I mean, he's created some, I mean, just May in general was, mm -hmm. is considered like a modern classic. Totally. Totally. Yeah. So, I mean, so I've known Lucky, I, I was, um, you know, fortunate enough to get cast in Chris Sievertson's The Lost, um, mm -hmm. which was the Jack Ketchum novel. So I got to play the the, the character of Ray Pye, which was, um, you know, one of the greatest experiences of my life. And I'm so grateful for them to have given me that opportunity. And so Lucky produced that because mm -hmm. uh, he knew Jack Ketchum and, and, and they were friends. In fact, I believe Lucky actually optioned The Lost the lost um as a producer to help chris make the movie so we've known each other for some time and we've always wanted to work together i've been a fan of his um you know of his work as a director as a writer and also just a friend you know we've been friends for quite some time you know we had a little stint um in the in tales of halloween which was super fun and you know with pauline and mcintosh and so that mm -hmm. was a blast just doing that little short, but we'd really been wanting to find something together. And, and this just, it was kind of like right time, right place. I mean, he read it, he liked it and, you know, we just dove in. So uh, it, it was a blast. I mean, we, we hopped on zoom, you know, the writer and Stephen Lang and I, and the other producer, Aaron Kuhn, some, we had a couple readings and then it was just Stephen Lang slang Lucky and I, where we would just read this out loud, um, which was very, very helpful. So we did a we did a fair amount of rehearsals. And even when we got to set, you know, Lucky would have us rehearse on the stage for 45 minutes to an hour before we would shoot it. Um, so, look, he he's he, he's just really tremendous. And and um, I, I have to say it was in some respects, it was kind of easy. I mean, it had its challenges, of course, but he just is such a pro um, as his slang. So, you know, I felt like we just hit a nice groove and we were all just really, you know, really working well together. He's a so, pro. He really is. So one thing I, I, I am a huge fan of, of, of slang. I love everything he does. He just brings so much to it. And I'm just curious because you played being fearful of him so well. And oh, I, I can't, blame you at all because he's an intimidating dude but um i i have to ask was there anything that he did what it like possibly um that was improvised just to throw you off i could totally see that happening was there anything where either one of you maybe did something to try and and keep the other off balance because the tension is what is really driving a lot of this 
Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great question. I mean, I'm a fan of slang as well. And, and, you know, look, he was, he's got this unbelievable experience, you know, um, he's such a talented guy and he's been terrific and, you know, on stage and all these movies that we've seen that we love him in. Um, and he's just really good, you know, and he's been doing it for so long. So, um, you know, of course there was definitely some improvisation, um, and it, it was loose, you know, I mean, there was no ego. It was just very loose. It's like, we had an idea of what we wanted to do. You know, Lucky was there, um, you know, doing his thing, of course, as the director, but there was a certain kind of like looseness to where we were like trying to find, um, you know, find, uh, or as Lucky would say, mining for gold within these scenes. Um, and <clears throat> yeah, the thing, you know, there were many times where slang would just take initiative and just start kind of during rehearsals, you know, blocking it out for all of us. And look, he's a pro, he's been doing this for a long time. So for me, I was just ecstatic. Cause I was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to listen to this guy. Like, wh what do you want to do, man? You know, we would just kind of like, I would follow his lead. Okay, cool, cool. Um, but that's, what's so beautiful about working with him is that if you're present and you're relaxed and you just kind of get into the creativity and the fun of it, there's a lot of great things that can happen. And, and what's so cool is there were times where I wouldn't even remember if like, was that a line? Is this a line? It's like, we, I would just feel a connection and we would just kind of run with it. I do remember this great moment where I don't think he was getting what he wanted from me. And, you know, he certainly let me know. And that was a, a really awesome moment. And, um, you know, uh, I think he said something along the lines of goose it or put some more energy into it, man. And you got, and I was like, whoa. And so that kind of got my blood pumping. And then I, 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 and then I think we ultimately got it. So, uh, but I like that. Like, I, I'm not a guy that just like, likes to say the lions and sit there and hit the marks and then cut, go get a coffee. It's like, you know, you want to go on a journey with this stuff. And he's certainly the guy to, to go on it with. That's great. So I wanted to ask you about the genre itself, because you've done a lot of horror projects. And I wanted to know what is it about horns specifically that you are gravitating towards? What is it you like about being able to play in that in that um, sandbox of that genre? Yeah, well, I think what's so interesting about it is when I first got started, I wasn't, you know, um, you know, like a hardcore horror guy, so to speak. It's like, of course, there was things that I definitely liked. Um, but I just feel like, you know, when I got cast in the lost, it just sort of opened this door to, you know, a lot of these opportunities. And, and the one thing I can say is that I feel like there's a lot of room for creativity. I mean, look at the devil's carnival. It's like, I get to play this knife throwing, you know, uh, you know, scorpion type character, the pompadour. And it's, it, it, it feels like there's a lot of opportunity to play a lot of opportunity to create. And, and um, I always like doing something very different with all of the, the characters I play and ho hopefully it works. <laughs> um, and uh, so I think, I think with the space, it's exciting. It's, you know, um, sometimes the emotions can be very extreme. The characters can be very intense. The situations can be very intense. And, I think it's, I think it also can be tough. I always thought like, my God, if an actor or anyone can, can do it in a horror film, they can do it anywhere because I feel like, you know, there's so many heightened situations, um, in, in the space and, and, um, 
it's just colorful, isn't it? It's just, it's just a fun space. Totally. Well, and I, I know I'm about to lose you here, but I have one last question. It's kind of piggybacking off of that. And that's within your catalog. There are a number of films that deal with what I call spiritual horror or internal mm-hmm. horror. And as an actor, especially this one, this, this one and like with Devil's Carnival and Dementia, there's, it's, it, it's an internal thing. As an actor and a storyteller yourself, what kind of freedom of inventing does that give to you to kind of play with that? Um, I think, I mean, well, again, it, it all comes down to like genre aside. I mean, it all comes down to the character, right? So it's like, I tend to, I tend to like more psychological stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, there's great slasher films out there and that stuff's a total blast, but I, I tend to gravitate a little bit more towards like the psychological, right. um, you know, horror stuff, which I think this, this definitely fits into that category. So for me, it's just like, you know, you can dig deep there, you know, you can really dig deep there and, you know, yes, it happens to be in the horror space, but you know, it's a pretty multi, you know, some of these characters can be very multidimensional and, 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 and you can go pretty deep down the rabbit hole and discover really cool stuff to try to explore and do. Um, did I answer the question? I feel like I'm not totally, maybe I didn't no, totally get it. You, kind, you, have, you, you kind of have, because that's what I, uh, that's the way I look at it, is the internalization of horror, like what, where people drag themselves to you, mm. especially with this kind of film, I'm trying to not spoiler anything, right? <laughs> but, which is very hard. Um, but it's, it's more like where people go to torture themselves and yeah and and they're their own worst enemy and they've uh and and i really uh like that and and mm. that's a aspect of horror that i think with uh, within a subgenre that is really interesting and when it's done really well like in this film it it punches you in the gut and that's something i like seeing actors being able to do you know, I think you, yeah, now I know what you mean. And like you, I couldn't have said it better than you. And like, to me, that's, that's definitely, you know, as you'd say, like a subgenre of the space that I particularly really enjoy and really like. Um, Cause it, it, it almost feels, even though there could be some, you know, um, fantasy elements to it or supernatural elements to it or anything, um, there is something very raw and organic to that and something very, like, very scary. I mean, it's kind of scary to live on the planet, isn't it? I mean, our minds are bananas and they're saying things to us. They're take, you know, it's, it's, the mind can be a very scary thing. And, and so to, to mind that and explore that it's like, whoa, you know, and people certainly can identify, can't they? Oh yeah. Well, and and how do you run away? How do you escape it? Because you can't, it's you. Totally. And that is the most horrifying thing because you're stuck. (laughs) <laughs> right it's so true what do we do yeah <laughs> there's nothing you know just like freak yeah. yourself out that's it that's totally. and that's yeah well mark thank you so so much this was fantastic and thank you for sharing that beautiful photo that 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 uh, piece of art is just amazing and I, I i think you probably did make a good choice not to hang that above your bed just in case ah uh, that's <laughs> hilarious well thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me jessica it's, a, it's an absolute pleasure to meet you and and thanks so much for watching the movie we, oh, we so appreciate it so good 